0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. In the last 48 hours, thousands of Ukrainians have fled their homes, crossing into neighbouring Poland to seek refuge from the Russian invasion.
1: Beyond the reaches of the Russian army, refugees from Ukraine arrive in the safety of Poland streaming towards Ukraine's Western borders. 100,000 have crossed into Poland this week.
0: But millions more remain trapped in the country as Russian forces continue to advance on towns and cities across Ukraine.
1: Russian troops began attacking the country on Friday from Belarus in the north Russia in the east and Crimea in the south.
0: This is video from social media today appearing to show Russian armored vehicles driving through the residential district of Obolon. He could fall to Russia within days.
1: Russia has stepped up its military advance as its troops enter Ukraine's second biggest city,
2: Kharkiv.
0: Ukrainian soldiers are putting up a huge fight. So too are civilians arming themselves with weapons and making Molotov cocktails to defend themselves. Ukraine's president has rejected offers of international asylum and promised to stay in the country and fight.
1: Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has refused America's offer to evacuate him. In a video posted on Twitter, Zelensky said that the fight is here. He took off his suits, put on his hunting gear, and said, I don't need a ride. I need more ammunition.
0: Meanwhile, the West has continued to apply economic pressure on Russia through the use of sanctions to try and force a backdown. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported. To. Today, World Editor for the Saturday paper, Jonathan Pelman, on Russian leader Vladimir Putin's intentions in Ukraine. It's Tuesday, March 1. Jonathan, the last time that we spoke, the situation was tense in Ukraine. There were Russian troops amassing on the border. Things have obviously escalated dramatically since then, but was there a moment when you realised that this was going to lead to war?
2: Yes, well, it's certainly changed a lot since we last spoke. But I think we were aware that the war was imminent, but really the, the origins of this go back a lot further and you can go back decades really to explore Vladimir Putin's grievances towards Ukraine and the West. But we saw him act decisively in 2014. Uh, this was after the Maidan revolution in Ukraine. <gasps> when the the pro-Russian leader was ousted. The ousted president is wanted for
1: mass murder and on the run in the south, probably Crimea.
2: And in that year, Putin annexed Crimea, calling a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Russian troops spreading out throughout the uh, strategic Crimean Peninsula.
1: Moscow admits its takeover of Crimea was a military operation. Crimea was declared part of Russia.
2: And then back a separatist war in Eastern Ukraine. A month later, pro-Russian separatists in the Donbass seized the cities of Luhansk and Donetsk. The Ukrainian army moved to take the region back. So there's been fighting in Ukraine really since 2014. Separatists are showing no sign of letting up their fight to control Eastern Ukraine
1: as the military digs in for a long battle.
2: But last year we started to see that Putin was really starting to think hard and obsessively about this. He wrote a 5,000 word essay, which was released in July last year, uh, which many analysts saw as a sort of prelude to an invasion at the time, uh, where he talked about Ukraine and Russia being one people, being artificially divided. And it seems that Putin has continued to obsess over this. And finally, we saw him give another speech last week, where he really started to, again, express his feelings about Ukraine and its deep connection to Russia.
0: Mm. Can we talk a bit more about that first speech that he made? Because I think as you say, that was the first time that a lot of the world really heard directly what he, he thought of Ukraine and what his intentions were. So, what did we learn from the way that he spoke about Ukraine?
2: Yes, I think that speech was about an hour long. It was pre recorded, it was deliberate, and it really followed a lot from that essay from last year. So he really laid out this historical case for why Ukraine is connected to Russia and should be under Moscow's rule.
1: Once again, I would like to underscore that Ukraine is not just a neighbour, neighbouring country to us. It is an inherent part of our own history, culture, spiritual space. They are our comrades, relatives.
2: He also raised concerns about Ukraine being a sort of puppet state of the West. That its government is illegitimate, is pro-Nazi and sympathetic to to neo-Nazis. So it comes as
1: no surprise that the Ukrainian society faced the growth of the radical nationalism that became Russophobic and nationalist. That's why there are
2: and that you know Ukraine is a far-right nationalist government. Which is discriminating towards the the Russian population in Ukraine, and which also is delegitimate government because of its extreme uh, right wing nationalism. And so he's talked about the need to denazify Ukraine.
1: The West started to explore the territory of Ukraine as the future theater of military action, the future battlefield, and it is aimed against Russia.
2: And so soon after that televised address, he declared that these two separatist regions of Donbass, Luhansk and Donetsk, were, he was recognizing as independent.
1: I deem it necessary to make a decision that should have been made a long time ago to immediately recognize the independence and sovereignty of Donetsk People's Republic.
2: And Putin has supported the independence of those states because he views the populations there as Russian-speaking peoples that have been oppressed by Kiev and by the Ukrainian government. And so he supports moves by separatist militants there to achieve independence from Ukraine.
0: Okay, so... Jonathan, how did we go from Putin recognising the independence of these two provinces to launching military action?
2: So several days after that, Putin made a second, shorter address just as Russian troops were starting to file into Ukraine.
1: And in exercising the treaty on friendship and mutual assistance with the Donetsk People's Republics and the Lugansk People's Republics, I've taken the decision to conduct a special
2: military operation. So this speech where he announced this special military operation had a different tone and really laying out a different rationale for the war, which was much more directed at the West and at NATO and at protecting Russia from the West.
1: The months-long buildup of Russian troops on the border with Ukraine has turned now into an invasion. It was as sudden as it was brutal and relentless. Ukrainians woke up to find themselves plunged into the midst of... Ukraine under attack.
2: It's been devastating, really, to see, you know, a full-scale invasion of a country in Europe by another country, and we've seen hundreds of thousands of people fleeing Ukraine to neighbouring countries such as Poland and and Romania. Volodymyr Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, is in Kiev, the capital, and has vowed to fight back. We've seen these uh, repeated videos that he's released, often from wearing a khaki t-shirt and insisting that he is not going anywhere and he's going to lead a ukrainian resistance to this invasion listen i am here we will not lay down our weapons we will defend our state so we've now seen putin order the military to put his deterrent forces on high alert and that's a reference to his nuclear weapons and it's a it's a further worrying escalation of this, of this war.
0: We'll be back in a moment.
1: Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes.
0: Jonathan, the Russian President, Vladimir Putin, has warned that Russia's nuclear forces might go on high alert. That is a significant threat, a significant escalation in this crisis. So I want to talk about the response that we're seeing in the West Over the past few weeks, there's been a number of harsh sanctions imposed. What kind of impact have they had on Russia so far?
2: I think on the whole, a limited effect in terms of dissuading Putin from continuing with his war aims. In terms of the main sanctions that have been imposed so far, I think the most significant really are Germany's decision to halt the Nord Stream 2 gas project, this gas pipeline that would directly connect Russia and Germany. Uh, the German chancellor saying his country will indefinitely stop the certification of the pipeline following Russian action on Ukraine. This is very very important because Nord Stream 2 was set to double the amount of Russian gas sent directly to Germany. And the other is to remove Russia or Russian banks from the Swift financial payment system. It's been called the nuclear
1: option of sanctions. Western allies have banned several Russian banks from Swift in response to its invasion of Ukraine.
2: Both of them are, are significant sanctions, uh, but you know, we've seen before in, in 2014, following the invasion of Crimea, there were severe sanctions put on Russia. They've had very limited effect. Russia is still holding Crimea. I think the sanctions are not going to have much impact on Putin and his, and his war aims, but, uh, but what we have seen is Western countries, European countries, even Australia, Uh, supporting funding of military support to Ukraine.
1: We are already providing significant support um, in terms of non-lethal aid, uh, but I've just spoken with the Defence Minister and we'll be seeking to provide whatever support we can uh, for lethal aid through our NATO partners.
2: And I think to some extent that's a recognition of the limited effect of economic sanctions. Joe Biden and NATO have made it clear that they're not going to militarily support Ukraine. They're not going to send troops to Ukraine. This is not going to be a war between the US and NATO and and Russia, a direct war. But they're doing absolutely everything they can short of committing troops.
0: Okay. So as it stands, Jonathan, the the specter of nuclear weapons has been raised. We've got the West providing or helping fund arms to Ukraine. On the ground, there's Russian troops in Ukraine, they've entered on multiple fronts. At the moment, the Ukrainian army is is so far holding all cities. But what is likely to happen next?
2: There's some suggestion of talks between Russia and the Ukraine um, in Belarus. Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, has already made clear he doesn't think that those talks will lead to much, but he's he's willing to engage in them. Militarily, it, you know, it looks like Russian troops, are planning to encircle Kiev and just how far they'll go is not clear. Whether they would try to to move troops into Kiev and effectively topple the Zelensky and the Ukrainian government, I mean, that's the ultimate and really effectively occupy Ukraine with some sort of puppet-type Russian-backed government. But it's not clear that he'll go that far and it is clear that Ukraine will resist that and that it would not be easy for Russia to have some sort of prolonged occupation of Ukraine.
0: And I just want to come back, Jonathan, to what we know about Putin's motivations in all of this because you spoke about... His, his essay and his speech and, you know, the way that he envisions Ukraine as essentially a part of Russia and the kind of historical perspective he has on all of this and the amount of time he's obviously spent thinking about this issue. So what does all of that say to you about how personal this is and therefore how far Putin is likely to take this?
2: Yeah, I think that's a fascinating question, really. And I do think it is personal. I don't think there's a real domestic political agenda here for Putin. His hold on power in Russia is more secure than it's ever been. He's been in power now for over 20 years. The constitution was changed last year to allow him to stay in power effectively if he wants to, he hasn't said whether he will, until 2036, which would make his rule longer than Stalin's. So Putin's hold on power is very, very strong. And I don't think that this war is some sort of effort to rally up his domestic power. I think it's more almost the opposite. He has such a strong hold on power that he is able to execute this war because it is something that he is committed to and he believes in. And in terms of where the war goes, that will be very much up to Putin.
0: Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ruby. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today... 8 people have died and more than 18,000 homes have been flooded after heavy rain inundated southeast Queensland over the last couple of days. In New South Wales, evacuation warnings have been issued for the entire northern rivers region after the rain system moved south. Residents in Lismore have attempted to avoid the city's worst ever flood on record by sheltering on their roofs. On Monday, the town's mayor urged people to leave the region if they could, saying the catastrophic flood had taken authorities by surprise. Emergency warnings remain in place as overflowing rivers and widespread flooding continue to threaten communities across the region. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.